The challenge is off to Africa for the first time ever, where CT has a wild 24-hour stay. Timmy retires from the show. Bananas makes his first final. Susie and Tanya spark a nasty rivalry. Rookie stands strong for the first time in seasons, and some beloved OGs get redemption and their first finals and or wins. It's the challenge. Inferno 3 full season rewatch and recap podcast coming up right now. What up, my fellow challenge lovers? Welcome to the Challenge Historian, where we dive deep into all things the challenge, past, present, or future, if it's happening in the challenge universe, then I am here to document it. I am your host and dedicated challenge historian, Jacob Hollaball. Thank you so very, very much for being here with me today on today's podcast, 2022 Challenge Series Rewatch continues on into Season number 14, our first ever trilogy completed, The Inferno 3. We are here for one reason today, to discuss The Inferno 3, the end of The Inferno trilogy as it would come to be. And that is the entire focus of today's podcast. Now, a couple quick programming notes before we dive into all things Season 14. We will be back midweek with our Challenge USA Episode recap, episode six, Challenge USA rolls along. If you're not watching that season, if you were like me, a little trepidatious going into that season, you're missing out. It's a great, great time. Pop on in, watch that, catch on up on Paramount Plus if you need to, and then hop on in, tune in to the program. We'll be recapping those every Wednesday as that season rolls along. And then we'll be back again this Friday with the video slash podcast about one specific cast member's career that we promised last week, but had some uh, difficulties pop up that had to get postponed. So in its stead, we said that would be Friday or Monday. Instead, we've got the Inferno 3 today. We've got that career retrospective on Friday. Three pods this week. Going to be a great time. But let's get to today's main agenda. The Inferno 3, as always, same as we've been doing all the recaps and rewatch podcasts. We will go through the state of the challenge at the time. Evolutions, main storylines from the season. Break down all the different possible awards. Every possible award up to and including the rookie of the season, the season MVP, and finally close it all out, giving the season its overall grade, placing it in the challenge pantheon for all time. So a lot to get to as always. Let's dive on in. Let's head on off to South Africa and start by talking where was the challenge at this time. Let's rewind our brains all the way back to 2007. That is when we are in the challenge timeline here. Where we are is New South Wales, South Africa. And where is the challenge at at this point? Well, it's rolling into its 14th ever season, its first trilogy, completing the Inferno trilogy with its third Inferno season, second of the this style of format, badasses versus good guys, that the Inferno 1 was still real world versus road rules, but still the Inferno 3, and the challenge was very much in a transition period. Its first real transition period that it had ever really had obviously had major evolutions before we've talked about all of those every single season we will talk about the very few and far between evolutions of this particular season in one moment but the show had never 
I, I, you know, it never reached the point that it was at now, which is to say it had been a long-running franchise who needed to kind of spruce things up, who needed to kind of recycle in some, you know, put out some of the old stars, bring in some of the new stars. It's a good problem to have, a one that it was just now facing really with this season and the next stretch of two to three to four seasons where between really fresh meat one and fresh meat two is kind of a big, long transition era, if you will, for the challenge. And this was kind of the impetus of it, um, where it's still a dominant franchise. It has been for uh, some time now. It will be for a long time into the future, up to and including today, if you depending on what type of metrics you're looking at. But it needed to restock the cupboard of stars. This season saw, you know, bananas, Paula, Kenny, Evelyn, all in their second ever seasons. Um, it saw Derek really, you know, he would stick around for a while longer as well as obviously CT. They both, you know, are still making a big impact this season in Wood for a while. But the Abrams, the Timmy, the Ace, Alton, Anissa, Tanya feel like they're almost from a different show um, at this point. And yes, I know obviously Anissa sticks around for the long haul, but there's a big, a bit of a gap there between those. And it's kind of two different careers. She's one of a few people that have kind of had those two separate, uh, you know, first and second careers in the Challenge House. So. It's a transition period for the show. Gone are, for the most part, they will all, you know, pop back in here, there, maybe one more time. But the Mizzes, the Corals, the Mark Longs, the Eric Nieces, the Veronicas for the time being, all of the early, early stars of this show, there's a few still hanging out. There's, you know, Ace is still here, Alton, Timmy, Abram, Tanya. But there's kind of, we're transitioning to this new era, these new players, the, you know, the Austin cast, the Key West cast, and later on, and really transitioning into the era where we're only pulling from real world. This is the third straight season to bring in four people from the immediate prior real world cast. We don't have the road rules to pull from. We obviously, this season is at the time. We'll just say now Road Rules Viewers Revenge is airing this season. It goes horribly. We do get a couple eventual challenge cast members out of it, most notably Tori Hall, but uh, it's not going great. That show is officially over. It was revived, and now it's over again. Real World is maybe showing its first ever signs of fatigue, maybe proving that, hey, you know, an absolute meteor of a show can only burn bright for so long. Even the greatest shows of all time, which the real world is undoubtedly the greatest reality television show of all time, bar none, won't hear any arguments against it. It changed the whole landscape. It created the landscape and then changed it a few times within it. But it's maybe finally starting to lose a little steam. The Denver season is still fantastic. It's one of, you know, it was right in my wheelhouse, my age bracket. Loved, loved, loved it. But from there on, it kind of slowly, they can't ever quite muster up what they had had before, some of the runs they had been on. And really, it feels like Philadelphia, Austin, Key West was kind of the last, like, we're getting all the way back to the tippy top of that mountain. And then it might take a long time to go down that mountain. There might be a lot of good moments along the way, but it is on the downside in some ways. But seven cast members per year is not a big enough feeder system, and this is the first ever season where we're starting to notice, like, hell, you really are just kind of bringing in the whole real-world cast from six months ago into this house. And overall, the challenge is still rolling along. Dominant franchise. People love it. Fans are watching it. 
but there is clearly a changing of the guard, a shifting of the star power within the house, and we will talk more and more about that throughout this podcast because that is one of the central storylines of this very season and plays a part in some of the biggest moments of the season. So that's kind of where the challenge is at at this point. Let's talk the basics of the season. Obviously, our guy TJ Lavin is back. The best host in the business is here. He is doing his now third straight, or fourth, excuse me, fourth straight season of many, many more to come. His first time hosting one of the Infernos for the late, not at the time, but nowadays, late Dave Mira. May he rest in peace. We are in Cape Town, South Africa. We have 16 episodes, continues on, you know, this is the fifth, sixth, seventh season in a row where we get the 16 episodes. Plus, instead of a reunion this time, they do a top 10 moments special with the entire finalist cast that is uh, there for that. So it's kind of a pseudo reunion, pseudo special, but a 17th episode. It airs from April 10th to July 3rd, 2007. And there are 21 contestants this season. There was only meant to be 20, but one of them gets sent home night one. So there ends up being 21. They are Abram, South Pacific, Derek, Extreme, Evelyn, Fresh Meat, Janelle, Key West, Kenny, Fresh Meat, Tanya, and Anissa from Chicago, Jen from Denver, Danny from Austin, Tyree from Denver, and CT from Paris over on the Good Guys Squad. Ace from Paris, Alton from Las Vegas, Kara from South Pacific, John DiVinanzio from Key West, Paula from Key West, Susie from Down Under, Davis from Denver, Timmy from Road Rules 2, Kali from Denver, and Rachel from Austin. So we've got four Denver castmates coming into the fold. We've got an Austin and a Key West, Rachel and Janelle respectively making their rookie debuts, and then we've got 15 other veterans of the game. And as far as Evolution's first history from this season, how the game changed, we referenced it a few minutes ago, but there really wasn't almost any Evolutions this season, which is the other reason it kind of feels like that transitory, that transitional period in the challenge where for the first time in a long time, they kind of just kept the status quo. Yes, we are in the middle of a streak of starting with Battle of the Sexes 2 on Season 9. And really, if you want to go all the way back and count the first of the first season, the Gauntlet and Battle of the Sexes before at Season 6, we're, you know, we're only doing Battle of the Sexes, Gauntlet, and Infernos from Season 6 to Season 15 with one fresh meet, one duel, obviously breaking that up near the end there, but those would all go on to be you know, sequels as well. So we're in the sequel and trilogy business, but all of those had changed throughout them and a lot had changed within the game with each of those seasons for the first time ever this season. Nothing big change. We had a team format, good guys versus badasses. We had seen that before. You know, TJ's hosting. We had seen that before. The lifesavers are life shields, excuse me, are used. It's, you know, two dailies, one elimination. That formula has been used before. We've done almost all this. The prize money's the same. Everything across the board. There's no big, big, big introductions of anything with the exception of possibly, maybe, depending what you want to say, I personally say the Hall Brawl is introduced on this season. Now, it is a, a a big variation on what we would call Hall Brawl today, but 
Cornerball, Derek versus Davis. We'll talk more about it later, but football pads are put on. Uh, football is actually used in this case, but they run head on into each other. It is the earliest ever version, the kind of skeleton outline, the kind of test of is this okay? Are we allowed to make them do this before that would eventually become Hall Brawl? So that's kind of an evolution. We also have a replacement player for the second time ever after Susie came in for Ayana. A long, long ways back from here, we get Derek coming into this. This season for CT. We had seen a few removals from the game over the last few seasons where no replacement was had. They just skipped an elimination this time. They bring in someone for the second time ever. We're on a new continent for the show to film on. We check off another continent as far as, you know, getting our way to all of them being covered at some point by the show, All Sands Antarctica, which, you know, maybe they should go do a final in Antarctica just to check that one off. But otherwise, not much changes it's just kind of running it back bringing in some new blood and seeing where they can take it as far as statistical history there's a little bit made but nothing extreme we get you know abe uh abram excuse me Susie on alton all joined the three-time finalist club that's a big deal at this point you know there's only there's less than 10 people in that club so that's a big deal for the three of them to get into that three-time club Abe does become the most daily challenge wins ever with 37. At this point, he takes the lead over Veronica, and Abe also gets his second win, joins that two-timer club, and it is worth pointing out, while not you know the biggest deal here and now in this season, but would eventually become uh, a part of big-time careers. Derek, Kenny, Evelyn, and Tanya all getting their first win. Those are all you know very memorable characters in the challenge world all getting their first ever win and bananas and Paula getting their first ever finals. So uh, a little bit is going on historical, but it's really the start of some history that would eventually be made by a lot of those folks and uh, not so much putting their stamp on the end of a career with the exception of Abram, who is, you know, has a fantastic season and definitely moves up a bunch of leaderboards as they stand after 14 seasons, but not a lot of evolutions. A uh, season that is a part of a big beginning of a big transition for the show. And now with that, we've covered the super duper high level. Let's get in to a little more nitty gritty. Let's talk some of the biggest storylines that would come out of the Inferno 3. All right, kicking off the storylines of the season, we've we've got a couple to go through. Arguably the biggest storyline of the season is uh, unfortunately a little bit of a bummer to talk about. We're going to save it for the end of the storyline segments because of that. And then a lot of the other ones kind of are real quick, small one, a little bit smaller. And in general, it, it leads me to, before I even jump into any of the specific ones, leading me to say the storyline of the season is that there kind of isn't a great one. Um, a little bit of that is that it's coming off the duel, which we, if you listened to the duel podcast, uh, if you haven't, go back and do so. The duel, one of the best seasons ever. We rated it, spoiler alert for that pod, if you haven't listened, we rated it the best season to date of the challenge and had such huge, memorable storylines, most notably CT and DM, obviously. Um, but coming off of that high, uh, makes this one feel this low kind of feel even lower and there's not a lot going on 
Um, and some of the, the storylines that are there just aren't as, you know, maybe interesting as a CT and DM the season before were, or as, you know, many storylines are in many, many of the seasons and some of them get uh, ruined before they can ever get super good. And then some of them are just kind of a bummer and ugly. And again, we'll talk about that at the very end of this segment, but, but that leads me into the first one, which is CT punches Davis in the face night one, uh, maybe night two seems like it's actually, it's for sure night one in the house and gets sent home night one of the show. And uh, that is a big possible reason why some of there aren't the biggest of storylines in this season. It's a big loss for the season uh, because CT is absolutely supposed to be the star of the season coming off the duel where we named him the MVP of that particular season. And I think that was a pretty easy call to make. He was certainly front and center, the star they had been building up a little bit. He got, you know, to not to the end or won that one, but we're still looking for him to win his first one. He had had the big storyline. CT comes into this house and he is I, without a doubt, from the production standpoint, like that's their guy. That is their star. That's who the cameras are following at all times. And he blows it because he gets hammered the first night. He he does. He comes in acting all nice, acting all, you know, very retrospective. He gives a toast the first night saying how grateful he is to be there and for the experience. Okay. And I want to just say, hey, listen, we're here in a moment in time right now. Yeah. And it'll never be replaced. And I just want to say I'm glad to be here. Cheers. I had heard that CT is sort of a loose cannon, so I'm really surprised that he wants to have a positive moment with everybody where we have a moment of thankfulness and gratitude and just express how we're here to make friends. To new friends, friends to remember, and let's make this a night to forget. And after that toast, they all get to drinking. Uh, CT and Kenny get to wrestling. That gets a little out of hand. Uh, CT ends up with a bloody nose. Kenny and CT get in each other's faces. Have to point out, Kenny not at all afraid of CT. They get face-to-face yelling in each other's faces, and I don't think I've seen anyone in the history of this show. I'd kind of forgotten how, how ready to go Kenny was in that moment and how in CT's face he is and giving it right back at him. And it's a full, it's a stalemate of a face off, you know, and a yell off and, uh, gotta say that's, that's pretty impressive to do that with CT. I had kind of forgotten that he or anyone at any point had ever pulled that off, but he had bloodied CT's nose. They get a big yelling match. And at some point, off camera, we don't see it. We just get told about it from both Davis and CT is that CT goes up to Davis and just out of nowhere says, hey, can you take a punch? Davis says, yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, I can't. Like, what do you what do you mean? And CT punches him. And by the shiner that Davis has coming out of this, CT punches him full force right in the eye, just a full-blown punch from CT, which got to point out, <laughs> Uh, even though we don't see the punch, we know it's a legit full force punch to the face from CT and Davis walks it off. And that is incredibly impressive. And that is, you know, as we'd see later, uh, and and it's unfortunately, this would not be the last time CT does this to someone, uh, that, uh, taking a punch from CT is not an easy task to get through and to be able to just walk off 
and uh, just, you know, come out with the shiner, and that's about it. But it's very strange. It seems like maybe, possibly, this is the start of where some off-camera, off-screen, outside-of-the-show things are going on in CT's life that are possibly leading to, you know, uh, his willingness to, you know, get himself into some trouble and do some things that I think, you know, he certainly feels like he's very, you know, remorseful for, uh, many, you know, how soon that happens in the moment. It certainly doesn't seem to happen, but that's because Justin Booth himself has to come wake CT up in the middle of the night and be like, Hey, you punched a guy in the face. You got to go home. Um, but certainly we've seen the growth from CT from certainly from this point, way, way, way into the future. Now, 15 years after the fact and no, the amazing man he is, but it's a very strange occurrence. Um, it's one of the strangest fighting DQs, maybe the strangest fighting DQ in the history of the show. Not that obviously, you know, CT seasons later would, you know, punch out, uh, Adam, uh, poor Adam as well. Um, but that one's like a real, like there's a fight, there's an altercation of some sort. There's, you know, words, there's history, whatever. This is just like drunk guy gets, gets all, you know, juiced up from, from wrestling around all, everything's flowing. The adrenaline's going and he wants to hit something. And for some reason you just ask someone, Hey, can you take a punch? Great. Here you go. I'm going to punch you. I needed to get that out of my system. Now I'm going home and the show loses the supposed star of the season. And it's a big, big hit and it's all over night one. And that's wild. And it's the biggest, it might be the biggest story of the entire season. And it only lasts for one in like a third episode. You you know, there's a, the first episode and second episode are two-parter. They aired on the same night. Originally they run in, in, uh, you know, in unison with each other. There's a slight cliffhanger, but we know, we know CT's going home and he's out of there right away. And there goes our star. There goes that big storyline. And, uh, there goes a lot of the entertainment value of the season, even though they do bring in Derek as his replacement, which is amazing. And Derek, obviously he has a great season on this season, uh, former MVP. So they're bringing in, you know, they're replacing one MVP with another MVP, but, uh, they definitely, I'm sure thought that CT was going to be the star of the season and quickly, quickly he exits. So that's storyline. Number one storyline. Number two. Denver cast slash the rookies in general, they actually hang in there for the first time in three seasons. We've had back-to-back seasons, fresh meat and dual, fresh meat, real world Austin, four cast members come in, three cast members go home, first, second, and third, Wes makes it all the way to the end after winning five eliminations with partner Casey, so that team, or that cast, decimated. Then on the duel, Key West comes in. Boom, 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 boom. You're out. Svetlana makes it to the very end after winning a couple of eliminations. But Tyler, Johnny, Paula, you're out. First, second, fourth, third, whatever. Uh, Paula ended up being after Tina got DQ'd. But two seasons in a row, four cast members come in. They're absolutely decimated. Third season now, four cast members come in. This one from Real World Denver. We got Jen, Kali, Tyree, and Davis. And although they do get thrown into eliminations early, they win a bunch of them. First, Davis gets saved out of the first elimination. Then Tyree gets thrown in. Tyree ends up going home. But Davis sticks around. Davis then wins an elimination. Jen wins two eliminations. Kali doesn't get thrown in until halfway through. She does lose 
And while none of them make it to the final, Jen makes it to the very near end. Davis makes it to the last elimination before the final, and they do really, really well. And a lot of this has to do both with their abilities and the fact that they were winning some stuff, excluding eliminations, but it also has a lot to do with the format clearly making it possible instead of, you know, the entire house voting against the newbies. It's team for voting against team for a bunch of different motivations. So it wasn't just purely let's pick off the rookies. In fact, at times they were benefiting from the keep the rookies who were considered weaker, mostly because they were rookies around versus the established ones that we know what they're capable of, want to get them out. So the rookies don't get decimated. Denver doesn't get decimated, at least not right away. That is a big change from the last few seasons, and it is a definite theme and storyline of the season. They end up in those eliminations early and often, but again, they win. Jen wins two, Davis wins one, and uh, save from another. They both nearly make it to the end. It's a really good showing for the newest class of real-world cast members. Plus, then, you throw in on top of it the extra two rookies in there, Janelle and Rachel. Rachel does not fare well at all, eliminated very early, but Janelle goes all the way to the end, never sees an elimination, really does really, really well in a lot of the daily challenges. Is certainly one of the strongest women in this cast across both teams. Make it, makes it to the end, gets the win. A rookie winning hasn't happened in a little while, not counting Aviv, obviously on fresh meat. Some rookie had to win, but uh, it's the furthest a rookie's got and the best win they've gotten in a team setting in a while, and it's the best rookies have done in general in many seasons in a row at this point. So that was a big storyline throughout. Third storyline then. This one's a little, this is kind of like a personal uh, pet storyline of mine that maybe this is my biases uh, showing both for the being a fan of the sport side of this show a little bit more, a touch more than the show side of this show, but also just being an Alton super fan and being in awe over the seasons that he is in uh, of what he is able to do physically on these shows. And it is a bit of a storyline on this season. Alton is very much meant to be, you know, kind of the co-captain, the leader of the good guy squad. He and Timmy both kind of have that stature within the game from previous seasons they come in. And Alton still absolutely looks the part, absolutely looks like the greatest athlete the show has ever seen, which is what, over the first couple seasons he had been on this show, he proved himself to be, very much earned that reputation, deserved that reputation, and lived out that reputation repeatedly anytime he got the chance. This season, he kind of loses it a little bit, almost. He Then he gets it back, then he maybe loses it again, then he gets it back, and then... Maybe, I don't think he loses it in the finals, but uh, does not prevail in the final with his team. But, you know, first daily challenge they get, it's a climbing challenge. They got to do fire fire ladder climbing up a fake two-story building and down. It's climbing. We get Abram versus Alton in a heat in that. It's great, great, great setup, matchup. And then Abram smokes him. Uh, and it's like, whoa, you're not supposed to get beaten any any climbing challenge, Alton, and now you got smoked, and I mean, it's Abram, so like we get it, but whoa, is, is Alton still the same Alton that we've come to know and love over the last few seasons he's been in? But then he immediately shows that he is still the same great Alton. He throws himself into elimination. He saves, he wins a life shield. He saves Davis. He goes in, he wins an elimination. He proves to his team, hey, I'm, you know, same captain back from the gauntlet one. 
excuse me, the Gauntlet 2 that got, I mean, from both the Gauntlet 1 and the Gauntlet 2, but Gauntlet 2 specifically, Captain, that'll go in there, we'll win these, we'll keep our players here, we'll give our team the motivation they need, but then out of nowhere, he gasses out a couple times on a couple daily challenges, he DQs, the only DQ in the fishing challenge late in the season when Evelyn bests him, swimming away as he tries to reel her in. Yes, those were the correct words coming out of my mouth. We'll talk about that daily challenge later, but uh, the men were reeling in the women on the fishing poles, which was quite the creative challenge they came up with, but Alton DQs on that. He DQs on multiple challenges. He just doesn't quite look like he's got the gas, the endurance anymore. You wonder, you know, he sits out the one challenge, the grape smash challenge for maybe decent reasons. We'll cover that in quote of the season, but we're thinking maybe he lost it again, but then at the end, he wins the final daily in an insane time, climbing cargo nets, swinging back and forth, 159 to the next best, like 250 or something. We'll cover that in best athletic performance, but suddenly he's back. He's Alton again, and then we get to the final, and his team does lose. He performs you know, perfectly adequately. It doesn't seem like anyone is you know, letting anyone necessarily down in the final, but Alton and whether he is still full-blown peak athleticism. Alton is certainly a storyline of the season. At least it was to me, and it's one I was very much paying attention to because, as I have said, on previous seasons such as the Gauntlet 2, Alton, in my mind, at a certain point, was and still maybe remains today with the possible exception of a Jordan Wisely. Alton is the best athlete in the history of the show. Um... And, you know, we'll we'll see if if I still think that after rewatching all the rest of the seasons and seeing a Jordan at his peak, seeing, uh, you know, a Landon at his peak, a Bananas even at his peak, a Wes, um, and many, many, many others. But Alton, for my money, probably is the best athlete in the history of the show. And this is the first season that he's been on where that kind of, he loses his grip on like, no one can beat me. I've got, you know, I'm on, I'm on this pedestal and I didn't, I didn't try to put myself there or anything. I was put there because I deserved it, but maybe now my pedestal is lowering just a little bit. Then fourth storyline, fourth and final of the kind of smaller ish storylines before we get to the one bigger one, um, that I'm just really honestly procrastinating for talking about. And that is that The new stars rise up. So obviously we talked about with the evolutions and the state of the challenges, transition kind of period. And I basically said it there, but I'll say it again. This season really is uh, as much as it's a passing of the torch with, you know, specifically with the moment where Timmy retires, which I promise you I will be talking about in detail later on. I'm just not going to go into it quite yet here. That'll be saved for a different part of the pod. But uh, with you know some of the old stars having left the show, the couple that are still here literally announcing retirements in the middle of the show, uh, we are left to you know get some fresh faces, some new blood coming in and taking up the mantle and taking over the leadership of the franchise. Derek, for one, really cements his place in cha- his challenge status on this season. Obviously, this is his sixth challenge, but he is one that would go on We know, obviously, watching this 15 years later, this is the first of a three-peat for Derek, so he will be front and center of the challenge for a couple seasons in a row here, and, you know, he won't exit the game for any length of time for a good, you know, five, six more seasons. So Derek really cements his status as kind of one of the faces of the show. Meanwhile, 
Evelyn, Kenny, John, as he's still known at this time, Johnny Bananas. There is some Johnny Bananas thrown in there. Obviously, he even had that going on Key West, but they still, I love still hearing John repeatedly from TJ or a couple of the other competitors and seeing that as his name displayed. And Paula, of course, they all see their first real star moments, star turns, if you will, big accomplishments in the game whether it's elimination wins or daily challenge life shield wins or just taking up a leadership status on their team, being, you know, the the lead confessional uh, givers, all that, everything that comes with being a star of this show and one of the faces of the show, those four specifically, Evelyn, Kenny, John, and Paula. <laughs> I promise I will only say John for this podcast and certainly for the island specifically podcast um, i will eventually just you know go to bananas but if i say john and you're confused we mean bananas so they get their star term and you know obviously kenny had had a few of those on fresh meat the other three though had not at all evelyn you know had went out first uh on fresh meat Bananas had went out first on the duel. Paula had went out a few eliminations into the duels. They really hadn't gotten their feet totally, totally wet. And this time they do as stars of the show, all four of them making it to the end, two of them getting that win and Derek alongside of them kind of cementing himself as probably the face of the show coming out of this particular season with those others vying for that mantle as well. And then we get to uh, the unfortunate true major storyline of this season that I probably did it a disservice by even waiting this long to get into it. But this season is the first um, in a in a string of them uh, where the ugliness, um, just ugliness in general, seeps into the culture of the show, into the challenge house itself, into the challenge itself and the show begins a little bit of you know is it too dramatic to call it a dark period of the show maybe but also not at all at the same time um and you know it's just a period of the show where the misogyny definitely runs deep uh kicks up pretty strong the you know the pranks within the house go a little bit too far turn into some unfortunate moments and some really, you know, some really bad, bad moments and some ugly moments. The atmosphere of the house in general crosses that line, that line that this show and all reality shows in general at this time and still to this very day, try to walk very carefully of, hey, we want big, brash, loud, charismatic personalities in this house. We want conflict. We want there to be drama. We want people to hook up and break up. We want people to hate each other and get in fights. We would love a drink thrown, but we don't want the glass thrown with it. That's, you know, that line that you have to walk where that's why a lot of us watch this show. That's why they're making it is because for the entertainment purposes, it isn't just to watch a bunch of people sit around and then go do a challenge and act all kumbaya about it and come back and just respectfully do a you know, men's team on Battle of the Sexes too, and be like, well, the fair thing is to do is to, you, you're going to go home now, so you go home, and that's how it's going to be, and everyone loves each other. No, that's not what 
we come to the show for. That's not what they're trying to make the show for. And that is the difficulty in making this show and all reality shows is walking up into that line and not allowing that line to be crossed in any way. And there's many, many ways to cross this, you know, imaginary line that I'm going to continually <laughs> reference. But I think you understand what I'm trying to say with it because I think all of us as fans of this show implicitly know in our heads that we we know that that, that line exists and that there is a part of us that we're rooting for bad shit to happen. We're rooting for people to yell at each other. We're rooting for things to get messy. We're rooting for rivalries to to spur up. We're rooting for Tina to punch Beth in the face last season. Let's be honest about it. Let's be real. Some people were rooting for that. Some people liked seeing that. That was a big moment in the previous season. Stuff like that is, you know, where this show is trying to get as close to possible without actually touching or crossing over. And this season is the first uh, of a string of them where just the culture in the house of the challenge is really is, you know, becomes a, not a great place for a lot of people to exist. Now, obviously the challenge house from day one to day now, present day, it is supposed to be a pressure cooker. It is not supposed to be a regular environment. It is not, you know, it's supposed to even now in the best, the better, if not best form that we've finally, you know, gotten to over the years is meant to be a place where, you know, you're driven to your wits end because the game and the paranoia and the competition and, you know, the kind of good version of like, this is a, this is a wild place to live and a wild experience and it's way different. And, you know, I've got to almost, you know, kind of transition in and out of it. When you go on seasons, we've heard a lot of cast members talk about, you know, the just alternate life you live in a challenge house. But this season in particular, and the ones that would follow is when that that stuff is there, but also is there is people being very uncomfortable in the house where people, you know, having really negative experiences that shouldn't be happening necessarily. And, that aren't anything to do with the game, but instead just the 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 general vibe of the house, the culture of the house. And, uh, you know, it started in small ways before the season, but this is really the season. It goes in a big, big way. There's a few moments that kind of encapsulate this throughout the season, some, you know, more innocent than others. The, you know, one of the ones that's kind of a, a little bit of a light bulb moment looking back that is actually is really totally innocent um, as far as what the the people were doing, and you know, it has a positive resolution to it. But is when late at night, the guys are still up. The girls mostly have went to sleep. The guys have been up drinking. It's like three in the morning, and Johnny and Ace decide let's go mess with the girls on our team. And so they go into the room. Everyone is sleeping, and Susie and Kara specifically are sleeping. And they're playing loud music and they're singing and they're just kind of acting silly and like shaking the beds a little bit to wake them up and, you know, prank the girls. And Ace goes to climb the ladder up to Susie's bunk to, you know, sing at the top of the bunk. And Susie's like this, you know, rightfully gets very scared, frightened. She doesn't know she's woken up by all this. She doesn't know what's going on. She hits Ace a bunch of times. So she says and he says they both confirm she slaps him and or punches him in the face multiple times. Uh, they run out of the room the next morning, you know, they, you know, Ace and Johnny are, you know, embarrassed by it, but defensive of like, you know, we we would never, obviously no one, I hope anyone thinks that we would do anything untoward here. We're just 
joking around, messing around, waking you up because we thought it was funny. Obviously, it wasn't. They're very defensive about it. So are Susie and Kara. Eventually, they come together and realize both, you know, Susie and Ace have a conversation over, like, I know you're a wonderful person. You obviously had zero ill will there, but you have to understand why that was horrifying for me. They all go, it's a very innocent moment, but it is indicative of the things that begin to happen in the house where the pranks, where the guys kind of just having a run of it, where maybe the alcohol being involved in the unlimited amounts that at this time it seems like they're still allowed to, whether they're even given it or willing to, if they're pay for extra or whatever, um, where all that can lead to some really negative moments. There's a later in the season moment where Abram tackles Susie into the pool. There's a lot of people getting thrown into the pool against their will this entire season. It seems like their favorite pastime this season is just, hey, everyone's standing around the pool and tackle each other into it, throw each other into it, push each other into it. Um, but some people, you know, even if they participate sometimes, don't want to participate all the time. Susie, about to go to bed, gets tackled in the pool, doesn't like it, and, you know, just kind of breaks down after it. Abram and all the other guys don't really totally get it. And you can just kind of tell that that's kind of the, the atmosphere the guys are living in the whole time on this, that even when the girls are over, some of the pranks and everything that may still be very, very innocent on this season, there's just the, the girls are over and the guys don't totally realize that. But then on the, the female side of things, there's also this season has Susie versus Tanya, really Susie and Kara versus Tanya, and playing the... IHT game, which stands for I Hate Tanya, IHTB game, which they we see two times at least. Uh, if not, it probably then happened more, but where they sit around as a group and just name off in unison things they hate about Tanya. It is so mean. It's so horrible. The second time we see it on camera, Tanya listens to all of it outside and then has to go call her new husband and is, you know, crying and tearing up all over it. And, you know, Tanya has previously to this season been the brunt of a lot of the shit in the house. It should be said, you know, some of that was her, a lot of that even was her own doing in seasons prior to this one where, you know, she gets into it with someone, she can't then back down. They keep giving more, whatnot, but you know she hasn't had the easiest time on earlier seasons than this. And this season in particular, she comes in. She seems to be doing better in her personal life than maybe she was before. She's gotten married. She's a little bit settled down, and you know then she goes through this. She's in kick-ass shape. There's a she dom. She's a killer, killer competitor this whole season. But uh, you know, it's it's starting to get really bad as far as how she is being treated in the house, and you know, it this isn't the season to discuss. You know what what production's role in that, her role in that, others' role in that is. But it's it's really nasty moment. It's really heartbreaking moment. uh, You know, the first time around that we get this, all the girls sitting around and saying all the things they don't like about this other person in the house. And then it's even worse and truly heartbreaking the second time when she hears all of them outside and just has to run away and, you know, breaks down over it. And you can just tell she's struggling. She's trying to make changes, but she's struggling. And obviously uh, that would become you know, a focal part of this, the same conversation we're having about this season when we're going to have to have it about some more seasons in the future. Tanya will uh, be a part of that. It is going to be a topic for more seasons to come, but for now, we'll kind of put a bow on it for now with this. Um, first and foremost, as always, we're watching these, you know, 15 years later, 
15 plus or less, depending the future seasons of this that we cover, obviously going to be less, whatever. Uh, the show though has come a long way and that's great and should be lauded that, uh, that while we're entering this little period where there's going to be a few seasons in a row here, we have to talk about some of these uglier moments and some of the bad culture in uh, everything that was around the house and the show in general, that we can at least know in the retrospective that they've come a long way from then in that we've gotten a lot of perspective on it at the time and that's helped fuel some of the growth. And that maybe obviously, of course, you would say, hey, the growth should, it should have never even needed to be happen. You know, it, it took too long to happen. Whatever you want to say, whatever you want to lament, it's 2022. Uh, this happened in 2007. We're going to talk about it for sure and say why a lot of the things that happened were wrong. But I am going to always acknowledge that whether it took too long or not, it is a thing that the show does has come a long way and has gotten to a better place and learned, even if it was painstakingly slow and horribly slow at certain times, it has learned a lot and it has gotten a lot better and it has gotten to a real place and been to some, in some respects, a you know, trailblazer maybe is way too big of a word, uh, unless you want to say trailblazer in getting it wrong and then also getting it right after getting it wrong and being able to have the runway and the lead way to get it wrong and then get it right. So maybe in that in that sense, it is, in fact, a bit of a trailblazer and has started to get things very much right in advance of a lot of other shows and a lot of other, you know, parts of our culture outside of the show in this country. Uh, you know, the show has started to be a little bit more of a leader in a lot of ways, which is good. Um, and that most of the people also involved in this particular season and in other seasons, I do want to always, you know, end this, this, this section of saying a lot of these people that are involved in this particular season, uh, and a lot of people that are involved in some of the you know, ugly warts we might talk about on future seasons seem to have done genuine growth outside of the show and gotten to a much better place um, and shown the good people that they've likely always been. They just had lessons to learn. And they've a lot of them, thankfully, we can know in retrospective, have learned, have grown into wonderful, great human beings who have acknowledged mistakes made in the past on this show. And hopefully my biggest sentiment and big thing for me personally, rewatching these seasons and going back through this, given, you know, the age I was at at the time, I hope that a lot of fans are like me and have kind of done some of the same learning and hopeful growing um, from watching this and seeing it play out in front of us and now being able to go back and think about it again after the fact and where the show was and has gone to. And I know for me, I've had to do a lot of that. And, you know, I was, when this season came out, I was 17. And I can tell you right now, I was a dumbass of a 17 year old. And I definitely didn't, when I watched this season live as a 17 year old, I definitely didn't realize a lot of the stuff that I'm realizing now while watching it again, 15 years later as a 32 year old who has thankfully, you know, grown up with this show amongst others and just grown up in general and can now realize like, yeah, the, I don't feel so good about some of these things that are happening in this. And maybe I wish I would have felt a certain way about them then, or I would have been aware of feeling those way. I would have just been more knowledgeable than I was. So I hope that like a lot of the people in the show seem to have done, like the production seems to have done, like many of the cast members involved seem to have done. And like, I hope that I have done in some way. I hope you as well as a viewer 
who obviously loves this franchise dearly, has also been able to learn. And if you go back and rewatch this season, can can do some more learning from seeing some of the stuff that we don't necessarily like. Wow. All right. Now that we got that bummer of a topic out of the way, let's hand out some awards. My favorite thing to do. You know, I love giving out the awards and it's a season recap. We've got a lot to give. Let's start with the sports side, move to the show side afterwards. Let's talk daily challenges, shall we? I haven't mentioned them at all yet uh, on the pod. So let's give a couple commentary about the daily challenges this season in general before awarding the best of the best for the season. Uh, Overall, um, very creative daily challenges, which is the best thing to say. And I'm not just trying to couch, you know, a bunch of negative things I'm about to say, even though I might be. Um, But they are super duper creative. They try all kinds of new things this season. And I really like and appreciate that. And it seems like a lot of fun for those competing, whether it's, you know, they have a fishing-based challenge. They're smashing grapes. There's electric chairs used at some one point. They're building fires. They're jumping on trampolines. They're run, racing hand cars on railroad tracks. They're going all over the place. They're doing all kinds of new things. That part is really, really good. Uh, part of the part that's not that great is that these are almost all exclusively average time events, which is the real detriment of team-based seasons. Um, in this one, they maybe have is like the worst of all of them as far as from a competitive standpoint, where you know how they how they configure each of the challenges itself when they're all really either individual challenges or partner challenges, but it's just always timed and then it's you know it's average team time, but the fastest one gets a life shield, and it feels like they should be counted as individual or partner. Eliminate or daily challenges, but they're counted as team, which skews the stats, which I'm a nerd for, and that upsets me. But it also makes for a little, you know, less great television, and sometimes, you know, able to be able to really judge people on each of their teams based on, you know, well, like, uh, you know, Alton climbed really, really fast today, and so their team got a win, and two people DQ'd on the other team, and so that really did it versus, like, who's actually kicking ass and dominating here. So I'm not a big, big fan of the average time daily challenges, but uh, they still, they're very creative this season. They do a lot of fun ones. They do a lot of ones that I personally would love to give a try and would love to do in the theme park that should exist and that I talk about all the time, Survivor Challenge Games. Me and my friends get to go play billion dollar idea if not trillion dollar idea okay not trillion but probably not a billion either but multiple millions of dollars idea someone please build that um paramount plus seems like they could uh you know they're not getting the subscribers they want maybe offshoot new uh income stream build the theme park put me in charge i'll do it for you um but so solid daily challenges in general but nothing all time as for the best of the best the four best that get nominated are episodes three battering ram where they go to the oldest building in south africa i don't know if they say south africa or in all of africa there's i doubt it's all of africa but definitely south africa which is a castle and they have two literal like 20 foot long wooden battering rams that they have to swing as a team through a wall. Very, very cool stuff. Love TJ being perched up between them on either side of the two doors. The teams can't see each other. They're racing to get into the same inside, uh, you know, kind of 
courtyard area to get a flag after smashing the door. I really like that one. Episode seven, Grape Smash. This one is a very memorable one because three people from the good guys team, Timmy, Ace, and Alton all sit out, which costs their team that $10,000 pretty easily. It has a bunch of great quotes from it, moments from it, bunch of stuff. You'll hear some of those in a little bit and a different awards. Third nominee then is Captain's Chair, episode 13. This is the trivia challenge. We get trivia as we need to every single season. And this one is one of the wildest versions of trivia we ever get because this one is where each team picks one person from the other team to sit in a chair and have eight electrodes hooked up to them where every time their team gets a trivia question wrong, their captain in the chair gets electrocuted by TJ. And it looks like it sucks. It looks like it sucks so bad. Janelle and Kara, Kara, sorry, Kara, I'm I'm getting I'm already ready for Kara Maria to show up. Uh, Kara Maria to show up. Kara is on this season. God dang it, I can never get their names correctly. That's probably not the last time I'm gonna mess up on her name, but she does an amazing job, as does Janelle, holding it down, taking what ends up being five in six shocks a piece um, on this. It's trivia. It's great. Uh, They're shocking people, which is wild to see. It's a fantastic daily challenge. Then fourth and final nominee, Hook Me, episode 14. This one is where it's a men's life shield challenge. So the men are competing, kind of. The women are doing the other half, which is the women get in the water. They are hooked to a fishing rod. They get 30 seconds to swim away as far as they can. Then the guy gets to start trying to reel them in Try and you know, longest time is better 30 minute max. Only Alton DQs Evelyn, pulling him way, way, way out. Everyone else is able to reel in their woman in sometime less than 30 minutes, but it's a kind of hilarious premise and it just seems like a bunch of fun. And again, would be one be kind of fun to try with your buddies. Um, but of those four, it's got to be. As it uh, you know, pretty much has been every time at this point, I think trivia is currently undefeated in the best daily challenge of the season, uh, which feels right, feels totally correct, as it should be. And uh, Captain's Share episode 13 is by far and away the best daily challenge of this season. Then we've got our second of three sport-based awards to give out. That's the best elimination of the season. Quick commentary on the eliminations in general. Pretty bad group of eliminations, honestly. Uh, And unfortunately, because the previous two Inferno seasons have given us a lot of good and great. Um, There were a few standouts this season. We'll touch on them here in a quick second. Um, But, you know, a couple standouts of, you know, out of eight, maybe two or three were really great, um, good to great. Um, The rest were kind of duds. A few of them were really interesting and decent eliminations themselves it just were not competitive and that you know makes for it's got to be a good setup and a competitive thing to make it for a really good elimination so this season uh certainly compared to the last few um did you know lowered the bar a little little bit but three of them do get nominated for the best elimination of the season first one jen beating rachel in ejection episode four this one they stand on platforms they got their pugile sticks as Johnny Mosley would once upon a time say, but instead of beating each other with them, as we've seen them do a couple times in previous seasons, they have four targets, two up by their head, two down by their feet to the sides that you're supposed to hit, which raises the platform in the air and knocks your person, your opponent off of it. 
Jen goes down 2-0 to start, mainly because she gets DQ'd one round because she just starts hitting Rachel in the face with the Pugile stick, which they are told repeatedly you are not allowed to do, and Jen just pushes and pushes and pushes on the no-hitting rule to its absolute limits. She comes back from down 2-0 to win 3-2. It's incredible stuff. And again, the the just bending of the rules and just not giving a shit and being like, I'm going down with... Her strategy ends up being like, all right, I can't hit her in the face. They didn't say I couldn't hit her stick and pull her off with the stick. She just doesn't go for the targets at all. She just pulls her off the stick. It's fantastic work from Jen. Jen with two ends from Denver. That is second nominee. Abram beating Timmy in Smash House, episode 10. What an elimination this is. They are lifted up in the air inside of three glass cages. There's only one glass floor under them, but then around them, the sides and the top, there's three separate cages. They're putting, you know, the full glass gear, although we would find out way down the road, uh, both of these men have commented on, they sustained some injuries from this. The glass found its way to their body um, during this, but they're in mostly protective gear and they've got one little metal, you know, thing to wrap around their hands and punch the glass with basically. And you have to punch out all of the glass on all four sides of you and above you, three panes on all four sides and above. That's 15 panes of glass punch through before then punching through the bottom one, dropping you down and winning. It's intense. It's crazy. It's wild to watch. There's glass flying everywhere. These guys are swinging and punching away. And Timmy ultimately Seems to have won until we find out he DQs in complete and utter bullshit fashion when he kind of stands up within his box, knocks out one of the rooftop panes of glass, which falls 10 to 12 feet down to the ground. And when it falls to the ground, it somehow doesn't break. And the rules clearly state you have to break every single pane of glass. Therefore, he ultimately DQs. He ends up having to go home. He retires on the spot. We'll talk more about that in a second. Abram gets to stay. It is the pivotal moment of the entire season. It changes the course of the entire season. And it's an unbelievable elimination and just the whole thing all in, you know, it's 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 pretty incredible television. Uh, and we don't get a lot of that this season. So we're even more thankful when we do, which we did in this one. Third and final nominee, Derek beating Davis in Cornerball episode 14. This is the first ever Hall Brawl, people. It's a, a, a variant of Hall Brawl, and yes, it's a very different-looking variant from Hall Brawl, but this is where it starts. This is the first time they're like, what if we what if we let them put on helmets and pads? Like, what, 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 what's the worst that could happen? You know, what, is anyone going to get hurt? No. Uh, and uh, they, they play. It's a 90-degree angle. They're on either side of a, you know, a square fake building that's been built, and they run to the point of the 90 degree where there is a football laying on the ground. They have to get the ball and then get to the other person's end zone, essentially where the other person started best out of five. Derek wins three to nothing, but that isn't for lack of effort from Davis. It's an absolute battle. They are hitting each other. They're running full force into each other. And it very much is the seeds of what would become hall brawl. It's brutal. It's also Derek, the final elimination of the season, Derek overcoming where he's lost previously, making that final, ultimately getting the win. Um, It's a big, big moment. But while it's nominated, it's not the best elimination of the season. That by far has to be Abram versus Timmy Smash House. It's it's just uh, it's a monumental moment for a lot a lot of reasons in challenge history and it's just a fantastic elimination and episode of television. 
Third and final athletic sport-based uh, award here. Best athletic performance. We got five nominees. We'll run through them quickly here. Abram nominated for Ladder Race Episode 2. We referenced this earlier, but he goes head-to-head with Alton in a climbing-based challenge. Wins. Also, far and away has the best time of the day. Wins the Life Shield. Saves himself from elimination. Wins a TV to boot. It's just wonderful, and it's one of the ones that's really, really fun daily that you know didn't get nominated for the award, but uh, they do like straight-up firehouse climbing a fire ladder up two stories of a building across down two stories. It's really cool stuff and an incredible performance from Abram, one of many from him this season. Then we got Susie and Alton in episode four's Rap and Roll. They have to stand on a beam that is over the edge of a cliff, thousands of feet in the air, literal like a thousand feet in the air, something wild because it's just off the side of a cliff. And the guy starts in the middle. The girl starts in the end. She has to wrap herself up. There's a tether between them that cannot touch the ground. So wraps herself up as she gets to the middle, unspools to get the guy to the end, wraps up to get to the end, down and back. First, best time to do it wins. Literally everyone disqualifies except for Alton and Susie who go last, winning Susie the life shield. Uh, and uh, it's it's the most DQs ever in the history of a daily challenge. 17 people disqualify. I know odd number seems weird, but someone goes twice, so it uh, that ends up being 17. And only two actually complete it, which is Susie and Alton, which is pretty incredible and gets them nominated here. Third then, Kenny and Ev in Dog Day Afternoon, episode 10. This is just a good old-fashioned sled pull in male-female pairs. You pull a sled with weighted sled with two other of your opponents sitting on it. Kenny and Evelyn do it in 1 minute 21 seconds. The next fastest is 156. The third fastest is over 3 minutes. It's not even close, and it wins Kenny the Life Shield, and they both get a prize. Is this the trip to Hawaii? No, that's later on. But they win a, They both win a great prize. Maybe this is the Schwinn Scooter uh, but either way, they get nominated best athletic performance. Then so do, as we said earlier, the two poor women who have to be the electrocuted people in captain's chair, Kara and Janelle, they don't quit and they're allowed to quit at any point. They can forfeit the mission and just say, this is bullshit. I'm not doing this. Why am I the only one that has to? And they don't. And that's impressive. It has to suck so much. It does. They deserve at bare minimum, to get nominated for this silly award on this silly podcast 15 years later. Fifth and final nominee and your victor for the best athletic performance of the season goes to Evelyn in Hook Me, episode 14. We referenced it earlier, but men have to reel in the women using a fishing line. Only one of them DQs. That is Alton, of all people, trying to pull in Evelyn, who just is an absolute beast and as kenny would say after this uh he you know he has a quote coming up that we will save for a moment later but uh evelyn is is just an absolute beast and she has a couple really big highlight moments this season this chief among them and is the winner of the best athletic performance now we move to the show side of things and we're talking best quote of the season. We've got a bunch of nominees to get to, so let's run through them quick. It was a 
a, a very good confessional season with a, not a lot to work with as far as storylines to be talking about for them. Still got a lot of good confessionals. Let's go chronological, as we always do. We start with Kenny in episode five, talking about Abram and Danny, who are the designated people to build the fire in a fire-building daily challenge that we didn't talk about before and we're not going to talk about now. But they have to build a bunch of fire. They're confident they can do it. No one else on their team is. This is Kenny's thoughts on the entire thing. The oil is going to be like our gas. All right, so just get all the materials you can over. Do so, every Sorry, last piece, and then we're going to oil up every single one, and then all of a sudden it's just going to go like that, and then it's going to go to fire. Dude, okay. we listened to you on the battering ram. And no, that's we didn't. No, we didn't. We lost two in a row. I'm hoping Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn, I, these two great outdoorsmen, Danny and uh, Abe, could actually pull this off. They, in fact, don't uh, build a very good fire, and it ends up resulting in Danny going into elimination and therefore going home. Then we've got Alton in episode seven. We brought this up earlier, but Grape Smash. This is a uh, daily challenge where everyone has to take grapes, throw them in a big barrel thing, and then get in there and stomp on them. I love Lucy style and uh, get juice to pour out of the spigot and then use their mouths to catch the juice, put it in bottles. Three guys on the good guys team decide not to do it because they are told they have to wear Speedos and they don't want to. And while Ace doesn't want to do it because his friends made fun of him for the last time he wore a Speedo on the show, and Timmy's just like, I, you know, dude, I'm like fucking 40. Like, this is... I'm still here to do this show, but this is a, is a little out of my comfort zone at this point. Alton... He's got a little different reason for not wanting to put on the speedo. I'm not ashamed of my body. I have, I feel like I have a great body, but I'm also a man. I'm, you know, I'm hung like a horse, and I just feel that there's leaving very little covered for me, and I feel very uncomfortable with that. Can't blame a guy for uh, being honest there. Then we got Paula, same challenge, same episode, talking about what that juice tastes like. This stuff, it's disgusting. It's part grape, part saliva, part hay. Oh, uh, it's Kenny's toenail. <laughs> You're hoping that everybody got their shots. A nice little assist from Abram there, a mid quote of the season nominee, quote of the season nominee. Abram in the middle of Paula's wonderful one. I do too hope everyone got their shots prior to that season. I'm sure they did. Then we've got Kenny again, episode 10, talking about trying to get the life shield to save himself. And this quote, honestly, Kenny might've used this quote or a variation on this quote three or four times this season. And it was wonderful every single time. Uh, the shtick hadn't, this was the beginnings of the shtick. Really? It hadn't gotten old at all yet. It would definitely get old pretty soon in seasons to come but it hadn't yet here people might say oh kenny's the weakest one or whatever but you know what just because i'm beautiful don't mean i won't kick your ass then we've got ace also in episode 10 speaking on timmy who replaces ace in the inferno ace wins the life shield their team doesn't want timmy to be the one to go in instead but timmy demands it and he gets thrown in, but Ace has this to say, this high praise to give to Timmy. All right, Ace, who did you choose to take your place in the Inferno tonight? Was that our captain. Uh, he's a man's man. He, uh, he's the same height as all of us, but he stands a little bit taller than the rest. And uh, my favorite guy I've met on this challenge has got to be Timmy. All right. More on that coming up. Next nominee then is Paula in episode 14. Speaking of Kenny before, uh, Kenny during the Fishing Daily uh, a quick aside, 
Um, the, you know, we've talked about the obvious editing. We actually talked about that on the duel, uh, talked about how that it was become a new thing on the show and evolution of the show is the editing was getting very, very obvious this season. There was one big moment of a few of them where the editing was a little misleading and was better at building suspense in this in moment that this quote is about in particular is one of them. They make it seem like Kenny sucks at the fishing, uh, reeling in the opponent challenge when in fact he eventually wins the life shield, uh, for that challenge and has the best time of the whole day. Um, but in the moment, they make it seem like he absolutely sucks at it. And Paula has this to say about Kenny and his ability to fish. I don't think he has ever held a rod. I don't think Kenny has ever caught anything besides the cold or the clap. So Kenny's kind of screwed. Second to last nominee then comes from Derek about to go into what he knows is a headbanger, what he knows is going to be something he loves, that elimination corner ball versus Davis. He has this warning. Kid. I'm this close to the end. I've come close so many other times and I it up. So, um, Davis, dude, I don't know what to tell you, bro, but I'm going to kill you. He's a man that's always just gotten straight to the point. And then our final nominee comes from the 15th episode and comes from Abram. They do a daily challenge. We referenced briefly earlier. Alt, we said Alton, you know, swinging back and forth. He got his mojo back at the very end, does this challenge where you climb up nets, swing across nets very quickly. Well, Abram also does very well at that challenge, and he also has the time of his life doing it. Let's let him talk about that now. God, this is fun. I want to be a pirate, like, professionally, because if pirates get to do stuff like this, except I get to swing across on a rope, hit the net, like, ah, I have a sword in my mouth, Arr, I jump off, like, where's my money? Arr. There you go, Paul! And I just love that so much from him and uh, the entire moment about it. It's just so much fun. You love seeing someone having a great time on this show, and that's why that one gets I want to be a pirate, like, professionally, and everything that comes after it. That gets my war, uh, award for the best quote of the season. Then we come to the iconic moment of the season, the best moment of the season, the most infamous moment of the season, the most memorable moment of the season, whatever we want to call it, whichever season we're talking about, the most iconic moment, the one you will always think of. First, when you think of a season in particular, and this season, we've only got three nominees, and I kind of stretched to hit that third one. Uh, a couple smaller moments first to quickly just shout out um, before we get to the big the big award and the big nominees. Uh, first off, episode seven, TJ does a gum promo for Orbit Gum, where at the end of the Grape Smash Challenge, he just very awkwardly pulls a pack of gum out of his pocket and is like, also, you guys are dirty, so here's some gum, and yeah, you can clean it up. All right, along with that 10 G's for the badass, I'm going to give you some of this Orbit gum to clean them dirty mouths out. Obviously, you guys have to pick your picks for the Inferno. It's going to be a female Inferno. It's, I don't know if the, just the audio alone uh, gets across the the awkwardness and the silliness and the hilariousness of it, but uh, it had me in stitches. He does. He attempts a second one later in the season where he literally just throws the gum to uh, a team after the daily challenge. It doesn't say a single word, and they clearly are just like, we're going to give Orbit their money back. We we failed in this spawn con attempt. Second uh, smaller moment than Kenny, the credit scene of episode seven, which I've got to say as someone who always says the credit scene, bring them back. They're always so funny. All the little silly moments around the house. 
This season, some of the credit scenes are, uh, they're a part of the ugliness we talked about earlier. They're, they're, they're not great. I can't believe they, uh, they put them in the episode, even as a credit scene. But some of them were still amazing, uh, in particular episode seven. Kenny, after the grape smash, he's just kind of sitting, like tying his shoe or something, and a camera just sticks in his face, and he realizes it, and he snaps into hosting duties. He starts then eventually flexing in the background behind other people trying to do confessionals. The whole thing is very funny. And then the third one is Kara, in Giraffic Park, which is a daily challenge on episode 12, she purposely throws, to some degree, multiple challenges when Susie, her bestie, is up for uh, elimination and needs to win a life shield. Kara kind of doesn't try very hard in those challenges. In this one, she does some absolutely horrific acting, and it's just wonderful, and uh, I love every single minute of it. So those three moments are kind of the smaller moments, but let's get to the big ones, the actual nominees for the award. First one, CT wrestles, Kenny punches Davis, gets sent home, all in episode one. We talked about it before. It's a big, big moment. It's a massive loss. It just you know sets the stage for the season to be a little lackluster because the big bad, the star of the show, gets sent home the first episode and, uh, and gets sent home because he just randomly punches a new person in the face for no reason other than he felt like punching someone. Um, it's, it's an iconic moment. Uh, it's, you know, it takes up basically a, uh, a whole episode across two episodes and, uh, it's, uh, it's memorable. It's definitely one of the first things that comes to mind for the season and gets nominated for the iconic moment of the season. Uh, you know, everyone involved, if, if, if they were to win, Davis would get the actual statue for taking that punch from CT, uh, and being able to handle it. Second nominee, is then just Derek winning the final Inferno and kind of lumping that with the fact that you know he's oh, that the whole fourteenth episode, excuse me, yeah, fourteenth episode there, the male one happens before in the fifteenth episode, the female one happens, but Derek. They open that episode with him talking about, like, I've lost the last elimination before. I'm in this one now. His confidence is shattered, kind of. Not kind of. It seems to be he's, like, kind of talking himself down. He goes in. He wins. He makes the final, and then he wins the final, and he kind of breaks the curse, and we know it's the start of a three-peat for him. And so that all lumped together kind of feels like one of the most memorable things about this season and moments of the season is just a few moments of him winning realizing he's made the final, and then when he wins the final, those two kind of lump together. But the third and final nominee and the winner of the iconic moment of the season, without a doubt, is Timmy retiring. Sorry, guys. Lesson me learn. I mean, just no matter what happens, take it like a man. It's a great challenge, and uh, this is my last. So I love you guys. Ten years ago, I did a little show called Road Rules, and I never thought that it would take me so many places and meet so many great people and have uh, so many great experiences. It's time for me to, to pass the torch off and tell them to enjoy the ride. Just a decade's worth of, of, of challenges and experiences with, with Road Rules have been absolutely tremendous. It's a trunk full of memories, and when reality surpasses your own dreams, it, it's absolutely amazing. Tim? Ah! I 
keep doing, doing these challenges. It's my recommendation. And hit every challenge in life you come across with the same intensity. Okay? I love all of you. Timmy was supposed to make it through this challenge with money at the end based on pure respect. You want to have people like Timmy in your life and you want to have people like Timmy around you because funny guy, cool dude, good heart. You can't ask for more. Timmy, Timmy, Timmy. Timmy is my favorite challenger of all time. Uh, and I didn't totally realize that until literally when I do, was doing this rewatch, when this moment that I just played happens, when he loses on a bullshit DQ, not bullshit like, you know, Abe did anything or whatever, just just completely sucks, just totally random. How's a pane of glass fall that far and not break? Um, and how does he knock it out without breaking it? It's just, it's just wild and silly. But it does lead to this moment where Timmy gets to say a legitimate goodbye to the cast and to the show and put himself out there. And uh, when watching it this time again, it it, it had me in tears, actually, uh, and just had me realize that while if you asked me who's your favorite challenger of all time, if I just got asked that by a random person on the street, I would probably rattle off, I don't know, like 56 names in like six seconds or something like that. Uh, there's so many people I could pick. I love so many, I, you know, I love almost everyone that's been on this show and I love so many um, with so much. But uh, I really do think if I have to sit down and think about it, Timmy is my favorite challenge cast member of all time. I think he epitomizes what makes this show and what makes a cast member of this show so great. He's such an unbelievably great person who's all about the team, all about everyone there, having a good time, the camaraderie of it, still competes with the absolute best of them. You know, he's a former MVP back on Battle of the Seasons. We named him the MVP. He's been in the running for MVP every season he's ever been on. And this little speech he gives is just incredible and impactful and everything that, you know, Derek and Ace and everyone else says about him in this moment, it's uh, it's top-notch stuff. And uh, in a season devoid of, you know, a lot of truly great moments, they it, there's a really special one mixed in there. And it is Timmy given his retirement. And not only is he my favorite cast member of all time, He's also my absolute number one draft pick to see brought back into the world of Challenge All-Stars. Mark Long has commented a time or two that they've at least reached out to Timmy. Maybe it could happen. Here's to hoping it does if he wants it to. Otherwise, here's to hoping Timmy Beggy is living the best life. His retirement speech is the most iconic moment of the season. Then we've got best episode of the season four nominees here. Episode one, welcome to Africa part one. This is obviously CT wrestles Kenny, punches Davis. He gets sent home. That all happens. That makes for a very good episode. Second nominee, episode seven, Sour Grapes, the wonderful daily challenge we talked about. Everyone sitting out, that whole thing. Plus, Tanya versus Susie really starts in earnest this episode. Their rivalry kicks up. They both openly tell each other how they don't like each other over. It all starts over a comment about Tanya's perfume smelling like a stripper. But the good kind, that's the kind of place that that rivalry intention started. It only got nastier from there. Third nominee, episode 10, Pain in the Glass. Both life shields are one in this one. Both people then replace. Timmy steps in, Abram steps in, the elimination that we just talked about, the retirement that we just talked about, the whole thing. That's episode 10. Fourth and final nominee, episode 14, Hook the Man, the daily challenge, the fishing daily challenge we talked about, Derek breaking his curse, winning that elimination. That's all great. 
of those four wonderful nominees, episode 10, Pain in the Glass, the Timmy retirement, of course. It's, it pretty much always falls in line. The best moment of the season ends up being contributing towards the best episode of the season. This season is one of those. And here we've gotten to the individual performances, rookie of the season, season MVP. As for the rookie of the season, a heated battle here, but our top three ends up being Davis, Janelle, and our winner is Jen. Yes, Janelle does get the actual win, but Jen is a focal point of the season. Two elimination wins. Uh, loses a third to Susie, who becomes the elimination queen for a couple seasons in a row here. So no uh, no bad loss there from her. And Jen is also just a force in the confessional booth and is definitely is just front and center uh, in a bigger, much bigger way than Janelle is, even if Janelle absolutely kicks a mask, gets to the end, gets a win. So Davis third, Janelle second. Jen with two ends from Denver is our rookie of the season. As for the MVP... Uh, no one this time around falls into the where were you category. Um, the only one that could is actually the first person in the gone too soon, and that's CT. Coming off an MVP season, we come into the season, we have a bunch of former MVPs in, in the mix. We're still waiting on that first ever two-time MVP. Spoiler alert for the next couple minutes of this podcast, but they, it does not happen here. CT doesn't win it. Timmy doesn't win it. Derek doesn't win it. We got some people in the running that could be that two-time. CT obviously gone episode one. Uh, he's uh, you know he's the MVP of the first episode, but he's only there for one. Then we've also got Timmy, just barely falls in the gone too soon. You know goes out in episode ten out of sixteen. That's just a little bit just too early. If he would have got to twelve or fourteen out of sixteen, there's an argument for him to be on the ballot in the running for MVP, but it's just a little too early for him as well. As for then the actual top five, the final ballot, this was a tricky one. There honestly wasn't a number one. I take that back. There kind of was a, a, a number one standout uh, in the end. Um, I just, I, I had mixed feelings on actually giving the award to this person Let's work our way up to that, though. Top five, coming in fifth, is Jen. Both the rookie of the year also makes the final ballot. The only person that won two eliminations this season, uh, you know, on the badass team, got a bunch of daily wins, competed really, really well, had a bunch of confessionals, very prevalent this season, good run as a rookie. Jen comes in fifth. Abram comes in fourth. He is probably, arguably, definitely, I would say, the best athlete competitor on this season of the show, this is definitely his his best showing for sure, um, all around really. And uh, he, you know, just absolutely kicks ass, wins a whole bunch of stuff. Is the reason his team is winning a whole bunch of stuff is one of the main reasons they win the final. He is great in the confessional booth, and uh, he comes in fourth in the MVP ballot. Coming in third place, first time on an MVP ballot, certain that it won't be the last. Good old John Divanzio. Johnny Bananas. He has a couple standout moments, uh, wins multiple life shields, performs really well in daily challenges, has a couple moments where, you know, he's kind of the leader of eventually dividing their team. Uh, by the end, it's kind of Susie and Kara over Kara. God, ugh, did it again. And Kara over there. 
the rest of them over here. John is kind of the leader of that, but he's also uh, second most confessionals on the season and, you know, performs really, really well and is just kind of blossoming a little bit into one of the stars of the show. He comes in third. Second place then is Susie, who has the most confessionals of the season, who is thrown, nominated for elimination four times, only ends up going in once, wins that elimination, uh, makes it to the final, is definitely a focal point of a lot of the stuff going on this season, and honestly had a case to be the MVP of the season, but I couldn't, in a weird turn of events, I, I almost split, second and first based on I just couldn't get over the I hate Tanya because game and how it, it was just really not great and uh and kind of mean and obviously Susie is a truly wonderful human being um and uh you know this is not indicative of her character even then certainly not now but yeah in a in a close race that she was in for that top spot that MVP final first place vote uh, if I had to go anywhere, it was kind of holding that just, you know, the only thing as a tiebreaker to hold against her. And it feels weird to say that because the MVP of the season is Kenny. Um, and obviously, you know, certain people listening right now might be like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Like you shouldn't even talk about Kenny because of things that would allegedly happen in seasons in the future and for his role in later seasons in what uh, we talked about and kind of the culture of the show and some of the nastiness and ugliness of the show this season in particular he is not a part of that on it really um, we actually he's the life of the house everyone likes him he's hanging out with the ladies busting jokes more than he's hanging out with the guys busting jokes this season and he it just it just is what it is. We're we're viewing these seasons through if if we were watching it again right then in the moment, not knowing what anything that would happen in the future, not knowing the culture of the show in the future, anything like that. And he's an absolute star this season. Both he wins a couple life shields in crucial moments. Um he's has the best confessionals. I didn't say earlier, but if there if someone won the Dan Renzi award for confessional king or queen of the season, it's Kenny um is the confessional king of the season. He has a bunch of small, hilarious moments. He is joking around at all times in like an actual fun, positive way. Um, and just if if there is a bright spot in the season, in some of the episodes that'll drag a little bit, that aren't as fun, it's the, well, Kenny got nominated for elimination and he walks up and winks to the camera that he sees behind the place where they have to put the little mask. It's the busting a joke with TJ about it. It's the commentary, the whole thing. And so, uh, you know, I maybe, maybe those who have been disqualified from ever appearing on the challenge again should be disqualified from retroactively winning an MVP award or any award. But uh, that's not that's not how I'm giving out these awards. I've got to be honest. I've got to be objective. In this season of the Inferno Three, Kenny is the MVP. And now that half of you have probably turned off the podcast because uh, for me giving Kenny the MVP, uh, we move into the final final topic of the pod and the most important one. And that is the season grade. Where does the season stack up with the rest of them? Where does it land in the pantheon of all challenge seasons for all time? As always, we do a female cast grade, male cast grade, sport grade, show grade. That leads us to an overall grade. Not an average, just helps us get to the end result. 
Let's start with the female cast. Uh, we give the female cast a B plus. We break these down. Heavy hitters, solid contributors, and duds this season. Heavy hitters. We got Evelyn, Tanya, Anissa, Paula, Susie. We throw Jen, Janelle, and gonna say it right, Kara into the solid contributors. I gotta try so hard to do that. And then Kali and Rachel are really both, you know, pretty easy to put in the duds category here but out of 10 cast members to have five in the heavy hitters three solid contributors it's still overall very solid solid cast on the female side that lands us at a b plus putting it right kind of middle of the pack upper uh, in the solidly in the upper half of female casts that we've gotten through 14 seasons on the male cast side also a b plus heavy hitters we got abram Derek, kenny ct alton bananas timmy that's a lot solid contributors davis and ace Duds, Danny and Tyree. Uh, I I have conflict more conflicted feelings than most on Danny um, in this world. I just got a lot of empathy for the guy uh, um, that a lot of people would say is maybe the worst challenger of all time, and they might have a good argument, a good dissertation paper to write on that. I love Tyree as a person, and a, and he just never pans out, uh, never has a, a great moment on the show. It just never pans out for him. So he's got to go in the duds category too, but you know, out of that six out of 10 heavy hitters, couple solid contributors, couple duds, pretty much what's the same place we were with the female cast B plus, you know, it's, is real good. It's just shy of being in that great anywhere in that a range. As for the sport grade, that's a B minus again, good creativity, they just never managed to create those epic moments. It wasn't for lack of effort from the production side. It just never it never came together. It never fell into place exactly. A couple high-scoring daily challenges, a couple high-scoring eliminations, but overall, real average across the board. So those couple, couple high moments keep them in the B category, but we're coming in at the low end of that. That's a B minus. And then the show grade, that's a C plus. You know, there's really only two big moments of the whole season. We talked about CTDQing, Timmy retiring. Not a lot else going on other than, you know, the ugliness type of stuff that we talked about a few times here. But, you know, there's some in-team bickering. It's kind of interesting. There's Susie versus Tanya, but then, you know, it's interesting and fun at first, and then it crosses that line into, like, this isn't fun anymore. Um, and, you know, the guy's getting inappropriate. Everything we said. There's literally no romance this season, which is one interesting thing. It could have been an evolution in the show uh, that we could have said. No romance. Zero. None. Nada. Absolutely none, <laughs> which is crazy. Um, at least none that we know of. Um and uh, yeah, just, you know, as we talked about in the storylines, we, we were reaching a little bit for some of those storylines that were highly personal to me. So C plus on the show grade, which brings us to an overall grade of a C plus, which puts it tied for second to last out of 14 seasons. It is still better than Battle of the Sexes 1, which is still the worst thus far at a C minus battle of sexes two also came in at a C plus as does this season. But I think I'd rather rewatch battle of seasons or sexes two in all honesty, because it's, it's kind of fun, boring, like it's a little boring, but it's like fun, good vibes, boring. And I, you know, the men's team on that, especially it's like the greatest team that's ever been as far as camaraderie is considered. So while it's kind of a boring season, it's like a fun, happy, boring versus this is kind of like, mild entertainment but tough to watch at times and so i think i'd even i'd really if i had to split hairs if i had to split that tie this might this might come in second to last 13th out of 14th so far again it's the transition time for the show between kind of 
from the stars of old and the stars of new. It is the start of this kind of dark-er, dark-ish period of the show where they got to really figure out some problems that they've got with the culture and uh, how to get away from that and learn from it and grow from it. Um, and it's just, you know, de- devoid of uh, a lot of the big, big storylines or the big, big, you know, uh, competitive moments. It just, it, you know, falls short uh, of most of the, you know, really good seasons and certainly of the great, great seasons. And so while it certainly doesn't set the franchise back in any way, as we've said with our grading rubric, anything in the D range is like setting things back. Anything in the C range, it doesn't necessarily propel it forward into new territory, but it doesn't set it back. It is that it's kind of average. It's good for those who love the show, you know, have a good time with the season, but it doesn't propel it to any new heights, any new places. So it's a C plus overall. It falls well behind most of the seasons we have covered. We will see if any other, um, not if, certain other seasons will certainly join it in the C range. We'll see uh, where it eventually stacks up after we get through all 37 and counting seasons plus the spinoffs. But for now, C plus second or third worst of the first 14, but still some things to love. It's still the challenge. It's still a lot of fan favorites and I still love it. And I know that if you're still listening to this podcast about a hour, two hours, whatever it is now later that you do too. So that is the Inferno 3. That is all for the podcast today. I thank you so very much for being here with me now. All of these rewatch podcasts we've done, all the ones that we will eventually do. I have loved, loved, loved hearing from some of you about these seasons. I've been starting to hear from a bunch of people that now that we're covering seasons that are on Paramount Plus that you're binging right along with me. Love that. Please Any comments you have, questions you have, things you want covered, things you don't think should be covered, anything you want to talk about, if you just don't have that challenge lover friend in your life to banter with, hit me up on Instagram at Challenge Historian. I respond to all the DMs. It's been so fun to get to connect with a bunch of you, and I look forward to talking with anyone and everyone who wants to talk challenge. I can do it all day long. So hit me up at Challenge Historian. Throw us a follow there. We're trying our best to start to get some more content coming that way as well, and uh, we're hoping to see a lot more coming there in the future. So follow there. Follow, subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening right now. Remember, Challenge USA, Wednesday nights, Thursday mornings, those recap pods will be up. If you're not watching, you should be watching. It's really, really great. If for anything else, you got to watch Tyson do his best West performance. It's amazing. It's incredible. It's been so fun to watch. So that's coming. Then Friday got a little special player-specific episode coming your way. We'll be back then next week with The Gauntlet 3, our second trilogy capping off. So have a great week weekend, life in general. Love you. Thank you for listening. Until we talk again, peace.